I know what you're thinking. An ad read? You gotta be fucking kidding. But, but, hear me out. If you're going to spend the rest of this winter tied to a fucking couch, you may as well have the latest issue of Fangoria in your hands. One of the premier brands in horror, Fangoria has been delivering quality magazines since 1979. Each collectible issue features exclusive articles about your favorite monsters, as well as some up-and-coming terrors. Be sure to check out the Fangoria store website for subscriptions and a bunch of cool merch. And while you're there, use promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. That's right, 20% off your entire order. Applies to subscription and one-time orders. Applies to the first subscription order only. Now, sit back, relax, and wait here a little while. See what happens. It's time to talk about the thing. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all my children now. Hello! Welcome to Would You Die, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by a dear friend of mine. He is both a musician and a geologist, which is, that is something you don't get paired too often, I think. More often than you'd think. You know what? That makes sense. That I guess that's why they call you guys rock stars. Hey! <laughs> I am joined by I am joined by my lovely friend John Owens. We uh, we marched in the Spartan marching band together, and he went and got a smart people degree, and I got my little film degree. But we're friends to this day. We're both horror fans, and I'm really excited to have John on the show. And today, well, today's topic. Here's the thing. We're talking about the thing. <laughs> it, is, it is the thing. Uh, also, we live six minutes away from each other, which it, makes it a little bit easier. That that hasn't always been the case, so yeah. it's a lot easier now. We used to live like an hour, a long time away from each other. Yeah. It's easier. Life is much easier. Anyways, we're in the same room together, it, which is nice. This is unheard of for this podcast. That's not true, because you... I think It's you only happened twice. Doug's like back porch... And something else? Yeah. Yeah, so keen listeners of this show, the only other times I've been in the same room on the podcast, because this is usually a Zoom podcast, Doug Lemelin's Jaws episode in July of 2022, and the episode I did with Travis Conti, uh, where we talked about zombies and comedy. Zombies. That was a fun episode. Uh, we recorded that in Travis's basement. Oh, nice. So, yeah, this is only the third time I've ever been in the same room with another person. <laughs> he lives a very isolated life. I I am I I take remote very seriously. <laughs> and speaking of remote, the thing <laughs> is not near where we live. And we we are talking about the thing from another world, that classic Howard Hawks film from the fifties. We are talking about. The Thing, the 2011 prequel with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. But before we get into The Thing, how did you first become a horror fan? That is a good question. 
because I feel like I wasn't a horror fan for a long time. So my big reason is I don't like jump scares. I, they make me feel very physically uncomfortable. That said, um, I have been expanding my horizons, I guess. I think in a big part, thanks to you. Oh. Um, which means that I feel like I've only been really into horror for the last few years. But I've always liked monster movies. Like Jurassic Park has been my favorite movie for ever. And I know you've talked about like how <laughs> it's... You could argue for it being a horror movie or against a horror movie. And I, I think we'll talk about that later because I, <laughs> I have my own uh, opinions about like genres and how things fit into different boxes. And like, maybe we should do that. Maybe we shouldn't do that. But, you know, what are the pros and cons? But anyways, film taxonomy. Sure. That sounds <laughs> like a good phrase. <laughs> but yes, I wish I could say. Uh, I wish I had as good a story as my sister because she can say she started watching horror movies the day she was born because apparently the day she was born, my mom watched Predator in the hospital room. <laughs> but I can't say that. Uh, That's and fucking I, iconic. She's not even a fan of horror movies. So she she doesn't even say that. Um, maybe I'll just start saying that. I'll claim that. You'll claim Predator? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Um, but no, so like I've I've been interested in, in monsters and... and creatures and stuff and i think mostly i've been in, into sci-fi for a long time um obviously star wars um kind of brought me into that but yeah it's i feel like it's for me the big draw of like creatures and stuff is like why are they why are they like that why they do that yeah. um with obviously with dinosaurs it's a little bit different because you can go and find out why you know dinosaurs were the way they were you can't really say, like, why are they attacking people now? Because they don't do that anymore. Except for the birds. Ayo. And, like, Jaws is a good example of another monster. Um, which isn't a monster. It's a shark. Um, it's kind of a monster shark. Like, that, that's not, not a... Right. That's, true. <laughs> that's not a real shark. Well, obviously, it's not a real shark. But that, but it's not... Sharks don't do that in real life. That right. shark in Jaws is a monster. Yes. It's much yes. larger than your normal shark. It's much more aggressive. You're right. You're right in calling it a, a monster. Yeah. And I, like movies with with creatures and especially with, I, I think the, the science fiction side of it has always drawn me towards those kinds of movies. Um, there, there have been a lot of movies where, you know, I'll see a trailer for it or something and I'll say, hey, that looks really interesting, but it looks a little intense for me. So I won't watch the movie, but I will read the entire Wikipedia plot summary because I want to know what happens. I want to know like why a certain zombie outbreak spread the way that they way that it did, or why why velociraptors are so mean, <laughs> and maybe they shouldn't be the size that they are in Jurassic Park, but whatever. So that's I think that's a good good summary of why why I am the way I am in terms of horror movies. Well, it's interesting because you picked the thing to be the topic of today's episode and funnily enough this will be episode 102 of the would you die podcast we have not covered the thing in 102 and 101 episodes of doing this podcast and that's strange to me i'm very happy you picked it i'm gonna fact check you on that i feel like you have i have not are you fact sure check me. fact check me motherfucker <laughs> looking this up. he's looking this up <laughs> I can say I have listened to every episode of this podcast. 
<laughs> I know, I know that you were on all, for every episode of this. Podcast. All one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you better know I was there. <laughs> don't, don't recite the dark magic to me. I was there when it was written. <laughs> Dude, I think that's the first time I'm fucking quoted Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> I think it needs to come up more. It should. That uh, while you're looking this up, I'm gonna tangent real quick. One of the famous would you die tangents that movie was huge for our generation when it came out if you guys can't tell john and i are literally the same age um fun fact for you guys i am older than john by four days by four days i was born uh do you want people to know your birthday i think that's fine okay i was born on october 2nd john was born on october 6th so we are literally the same age but uh chronicles of narnia was huge and i feel like when you're 10 years old the movies that come out when you're 10 years old are the best movies ever so when we're 10 and i'm going to include 11 on this a little bit i'm right now i'm thinking of 2005 a space odyssey but 2005 we saw star wars episode 3 revenge of the sith Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, Peter Jackson's King Kong, and the freaking Chronicles of Narnia. Those are all wow. 2005. And I can't speak directly for you, but for me, those are... The first three I mentioned are huge, like, huge personal movies for me. And then the Chronicles of Narnia was a really big movie. Yes. When it came out. I have not seen War of the Worlds. I've seen Scary Movie 4, I think it was parodied in. One of the scary movies. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's 4. But I, like, when I was younger and my sisters were younger, my mom read at least three, I think, of the Chronicles of Narnia books to us, like, before we went to sleep every night. Um, so that was a pretty big movie for us when it came out, because that was, you know, the first time that we got to see that universe, I guess, uh, on film. And I... Of the four films I mentioned, I saw all of those in theaters that year. My mom took me to see yeah. all four of those. Um, and I, I'm willing to bet you saw Star Wars Episode Three. That well, yeah, that was the, the first. That was the first Star Wars movie I saw in theaters. Me Probably too. Your, yeah, it was me too. Well, we were alive for the whole prequels, but we. I don't think our moms were going to sh take us as four year olds <laughs> to the Star Wars movie that literally has the devil in it. <laughs> no i don't think my mom really cared much about star wars i don't know maybe she'll listen to this and she'll call me on that but i don't think she really watched star wars at all so she there was no reason for her to to take us to see it and like i wasn't interested in it because it just right. for whatever reason it didn't come up in my friend group at all um until at some point before the third movie came out because when that was coming out i was like we have to go see this well, I, I had a similar experience because when Attack of the Clones came out in 2002, my mom would have taken me to see that. She took me to go see Spider-Man. And I'd say Spider-Man's a lot more violent than Attack of the Clones. Well, It's definitely more intense than that first Spider-Man movie. I mean, Sam Raimi's at the helm. You're talking about the first The first Tobey Maguire, yeah. I saw... Was that the first Spider-Man movie ever? Yeah. Good for them. I'm aging myself depending on who's listening to this show. You're very old compared to me. I yeah, yeah, four days. <laughs> I've seen every Spider-Man movie in theaters. And you've loved all of them equally. 
sure. <laughs> sure, you could say that. We could entertain that. <laughs> <laughs> we can say that. That doesn't make it true. <laughs> it was said. Yeah. Words were spoken. <laughs> um, I, I have not seen... I didn't see the Andrew Garfield ones. And I didn't see the second two Tom Holland ones. Gotcha. But I heard they were fine. I, I mean, I like them. I like Spider-Man, so... I, I don't... I have various degrees of like and love with those movies, but I generally, I don't really dislike any of them. So here's the thing. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I want to, I want to pivot a little bit because you mentioned your horror journey being really influenced with sci-fi. And I think that's a very interesting conversation because science fiction and horror share a lot. They're uh, very close. And your topic, the thing that is science fiction horror. And a lot of our, like, mutual favorite movies, like Jurassic Park and Alien and Predator, those yeah. are all science fiction, horror movies. I think you, I think another guest on this show, Brett Miller, he's made this point. Jaws is a science fiction movie. Yeah, definitely. Not in the same sense that Alien is. Right. Literally being in space and shit. But... Jaws, like, I, I, it is science fiction because a great white doesn't do that. It doesn't grow to be that big, you know? I was, I was going to say, a movie being set in space would not, to me, wouldn't necessarily make it a sci-fi movie. Okay, Star Wars. But, well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was like, well, you need a reason for people to be in space. And, like... You could have it just be like aliens living on a world and it'd be like a romantic comedy or something. Mm -hmm. But that's much less like appealing to us as humans, I think. Right. Than like, oh, this thing is set this movie is set in space, the story is set in space, um, and there are people there for a reason, or there are aliens there for a reason. And I think that that is partially why um science fiction and horror go really well together, uh, is because you can like i don't i don't really like putting a box around right. either one it's just kind of the, the themes that you see in the film or most of the time it's not even the themes it's what parts of the setting or what parts of the plot can we use to tell a certain story and a lot of the time you can you can use different elements of science to take something that is you know something that you would normally call a horror story or a horror setting or you know not a horror setting horror story you can take a horror story and you can explain some of the the scary things that are in it with science. I think a good example of that is I Am Legend, yeah. which Richard Matheson's original book, which came out in 1950, I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. The 1950s. In the 1950s, took the, the concept of zombies and vampires and uh, applied germ theory to it. So, you know, he said... There are zombies, there's vampire. It's not like, oh, there's Dracula who just is a vampire. Deal with it. Like, we don't need to know why. It's he's just a vampire. Um, it took it took the concept of, oh, there's these these things that act a certain way. Um, and they're, you know, they're trying to eat people, they're trying to spread whatever, but they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it because they're infected by a virus or by a germ or whatever it is. And that's not like you can say that's a, a science fiction concept, but it's not, it kind of is. But it's it's also horror. It's just it's just kind of explaining 
a, a piece of the story with a scientific concept. Yeah. And that's that's part of why I don't I have basically no film cred. So don't don't hold me to, to any of my thoughts. They're just my own thoughts, I guess. Um, it's just his opinion, man. Just my opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> to me, and I think this makes media in general more appealing to me is if you don't put it if you don't put whatever you know story you're you're reading or watching or listening to in a box like oh this is sci-fi or oh this is horror it makes it it, it kind of takes the the impetus off of like it, it because it's science fiction or because it's horror it has to tick these boxes um, and if it's not ticking these boxes oh it wasn't science fiction enough it wasn't horror enough you're kind of like yeah what's going on but if you if you go into it without saying like oh I need it to do these things in order for me to enjoy it or for me to understand it. And you're just looking at the story. It makes it much easier to to focus on like the story that's being told and the points that are that the the author or the the creator is trying to make. And I think that it, it I was gonna say that comes up in the thing, but I'm not sure if if when the thing was written, it was intentionally written to be used as what you call it, an allegory for communism and the Red Scare. I think that was kind of applied after the fact especially after the the 1951 movie but you can you can kind of see where like the story that was being told was like oh there's an alien and it can turn into whatever spoilers for the thing you're watching a podcast episode about that thing um you live uh, or not um would you die would you die <laughs> you have this this creature that that can turn into whatever it it uh assimilates that was really the kind of the point of the story when it was written um from the 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 interviews and the 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 author of uh the original book that the thing is based on uh which is called who goes there by john w campbell there's also an extended version called frozen hell so you have this creature that can replicate uh whatever it's assimilating that was really the the whole point of the original story and the, the original book that was really all that all that the, the story was meant to be was here's a scary thing okay that's cool Right. And we, we he wrote a story to, you know, to kind of like examine his anxieties or kind of to or yeah. maybe exploit a fear that him and other people at the time may have had. Yeah. Because horror is very reflective, I find. You bring up a really good point with the thing kind of reflecting the different fears at the time, because in the 30s, when the novel is written and for full transparency, I did not read the novel. I am illiterate. Well, that's not true. I got a fucking degree. Uh, <laughs> but that's the rise. Uh, communism is on a lot of people's minds, but you're right. That is the rise of Nazi Germany yeah. at that time. That is the main evil in the world at the moment. And in the 50s, when they make thing from another world, that's a very pro-American, anti-commie yeah. type of movie. And the thing from another world, that's like the one where the thing is Frankenstein's monster <laughs> meets that. celery. <laughs> that, is, that is a very good way to put it. Like that's what that creature right. is. Yeah. And, and that's like all that he can do is he can garden. Right. But that is a strong creature. You know, it's, yeah, it kills dogs because the thing fucking hates dogs. The, the thing, all of the iterations of the thing are not kind to dogs, which is ironic oh. because when I rewatched uh, the 1982 film last night, one of my dogs sat next to me on the couch the whole movie. Well, dogs like to get scared. They, I guess. That's the representation. <laughs> but moving on to the 82 version, that I feel like was a very different era of the Cold War. Yes. So it was less big, blatant celery Frankenstein, celery Stein monster threat. 
more I can't trust anyone. Yeah. Kind of threat. I, I think the thing is really interesting to consider as a whole franchise. It's not, I wouldn't say whole universe because they kind of exist in separate universes, but as a franchise, because the, the 1951 thing from another world, the thing couldn't transform into other forms, into other creatures. It was just right. Frankenstein, basically. And so the, the theme of the film seemed to be more of were it kind of a noble fight against evil. It wasn't right. um well compared to the 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 1982 version where the thing not not regains his powers of transformation at, that he had in the book, but he you know that's the representation of him in the of it. But that makes sense for the monster movies of the 50s, which yeah. I think thing it's, it's interesting thing from that, another world is one of the best. Yeah, of that area. It's to to me it's interesting that they took that they didn't they, they kind of removed that theme from the 1951 version because that seemed to be more that was the time of, of mccarthyism right um, and really like we're going to examine our next door neighbor and this that you know this person that goes to church with me every day could be a communist right well the other big movies of that time like the blob that's a bunch of people getting together to face off against a big threat um invasion of the body snatchers which i have not seen that movie in a long time so i don't have a point with that one i just felt like mentioning it i think war of the worlds the yeah. 50s war of the worlds that's all these movies have people banding together yes i believe creature from the black lagoon i i, I like my 50s monster movies <laughs> um but the 80s the 80s is different in the 80s remakes a lot of these the 80s mm -hmm. has this killer remake of the blob Obviously, the remake of The Fly, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers comes out in 78. It's a precursor. And obviously, John Carpenter's the thing. These movies take their respective 50s inspiration and go in wildly different ways with them. Each one. And, you know, you could you can also put Godzilla into this category because Godzilla first comes out in 54. And then I believe in 84, it's The Return of Godzilla, which is essentially a remake. And then that's like the beginning of the Heisei era with Godzilla versus Biollante and Godzilla versus Mecha, God, uh, Mecha King Ghidorah and those types of films. Not to get on a Godzilla tangent. I mean, we could just do a whole Godzilla episode. Very easily. <laughs> very easily. But no, the thing is one of the ones of the 50s that it gets its multiple iterations i think really just that in godzilla because yeah. i don't think there's been another fly since the 80s i, I think they made the fly too but i don't think yeah. there's been another reincarnation of the fly i don't think there's been another blob anything since but we do have a thing prequel right in 2000, 2011 which do we call it a requel because it is the same plot from the first one with a slightly different I mean, a different ending because they have to I, get to the, the original one. But it is... It, you could call it a remake. You could. Because it is a remake, essentially. Yeah. It is essentially a remake that takes place before the John Carpenter one. But they've got all the same story beats. The same one. The difference is instead of following badass Kurt Russell, we're following badass Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. You know what, guys? Hot take. Hot fucking take for a cool thing episode it's funny because it's in antarctica Ayo. except for thing from another world which is at the north pole which can we tangent can i tangent it, tangent? it's, it's still cold it's <laughs> it, still cold buddy it's still cold but <laughs> i thought i thought it was interesting that 
Um, they changed the set. So the, the book is set in, in Antarctica as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they changed the setting in Think From Another World to the North Pole. I, if I had to guess why they did that, it was because at the time in the 50s, uh, well, the Cold War, obviously the 82 one wanted to be more true to the true to the book. But in the 50s, we have the Cold War, the, the Soviet Union and the U.S. There was more tension in the Northern Hemisphere because you could quickly move, especially by submarine, across the top of the Earth between the U.S. and the USSR. Uh, then you could, you know, it doesn't make sense to go all the way down to the Southern Hemisphere and right. drive around, which I just thought was a neat aspect of it. Because, you know, when when I first started watching Thing from Another World a few days ago, I was like, why why put it in the North Pole? Like, why why just change? But there's a, the there was a reason. But there's a, there's a reason for that. Well, the I don't want to put hate on the Thing 2011, because my hot take, Is which I was going to say, okay. which Sorry. I was going to say, no, you're, you're, you're good. I like that movie. I don't think it's that bad. Me too. A lot of people hated that movie. A lot of people hated the 1982 one. When it came That's out. That is, <laughs> I don't think the 2011 one deserves a love that the 1982 one I agree. But at the same time, I will be somewhat of a defender of it. I don't think it's horrible. I I had a good time watching it. I would always put the John Carpenter one on over it. And I would honestly always put the the, um, 1950s one over it. Yeah. But I I, I enjoyed all of them. So, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Not a a bad thing. Yeah. As well, as somebody who, as I said earlier, is not a huge fan of jump scares, the 2011 one was a little intense. Um, that was towards the top of my my threshold for the scariness. Um, really, it, more than the eighty two one? Because I think the eighty two one has some of the best jump scares. Yes, and I don't know why. Okay, <laughs> that, that that no 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 that I, is I valid. Agree with you, I don't know why. That is valid. It's been a little bit since I've seen the two thousand eleven one, so I don't particularly remember. I think it's just darker. Mm-hmm. You, you're a filmmaker. Maybe you can answer this question. Okay. In so the the two thousand eleven film was it shot on digital or film i don't know that was 2011 so digital would have been being a thing and maybe that maybe it won't make a difference but the black the darks the and the especially the the black colors um in the 2011 one are a lot darker than in the 1982 one and i don't know if that's like the the grain of the film kind of brings it out it doesn't it doesn't seem as deep of of the dark colors uh, in in and it's really just in older movies in general, um, right? And I think that's why it's like older movies are just less scary. That you know that could be because we're used to scary and they're they're making movies more scary over time. But just like the the colors aren't as and and the lighting in general, it's it's dark, but it's not like you know. Well, you could see. I think in older films you can see things a lot more clearly. I think a lot of the films today, and uh, beginning with digital in the two thousands, I think they're murkier now. Okay. So, well, I think that was part of when they were making the 1982, it was shot on a different aspect ratio. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Can you explain that? An aspect ratio in layman's terms is basically the size of the frame. So super wide screen, or if it's like a square, that's aspect ratio for dummies. (laughs) I appreciate you explaining that. But it's not exactly what I wanted you to explain. (laughs) Let me look up the word. But, um, while you look that up, I think films of the 2000s and now, they can go deeper. But because the way they're shot, they're they're not lit as well. Films of like the 80s, particularly, they uh, 
when they're like the shadows are more deliberate, whereas now everything's dark. Okay. Not not everything. There are still films that you know go against that. I'm just Game of Thrones, perhaps. Maybe, but I'm talking generally. Yeah. When you see a night scene now, it's hard to see anything. When you see a night scene in the 80s or even like the 50s or something like that, everything's clear. Yeah. And also, I just think it's also audiences too. A big reason why things are so murky is because audiences want a lot, a lot more realism. Whereas back in the day, audiences didn't mind. You can tell yeah. it's a lit set. It's supposed to be Jason Voorhees chasing people through, you know, and, but it's properly lit so you can see, but you can suspend that disbelief. Whereas now it's audiences want more realism and filmmakers want more control. So when you see like a film, films are digitally colored now, whereas back in the day, what was on the set was how it was colored because you couldn't digitally color anything because that wasn't a thing. Right. The word I was looking for was anamorphic format. Anamorphic. Okay. So anamorphic, that... Was that... That's like when the people turn into the animals. Thank you for listening to this <laughs> episode. Um, I don't know anamorphic format. I know anamorphic lenses. They're kind of like... I didn't mean to Rectangular put you on the sh shit. Um... I'm going to read the Wikipedia definition. Okay. Anamorphic format is the cinematography technique of shooting a widescreen picture on standard 35 millimeter film or other visual recording media with a non-widescreen native aspect ratio. So that meant nothing to you, judging from your reaction Not to really. that. No, it, no, that makes sense. It also refers to the projection format in which a distorted image is stretched by an anamorphic right, projection yeah. lens. Is that different than how they what they would be using to film it? That's just the after it's created, after you have the reel that's reprojecting it. Well, anamorphic, that's like for like the bigger, more epic widescreen oh, okay. types of films. And John and the standard is like a taller frame. That's what you'll find in your standard dramas, standard comedies. But a lot of genre pictures, so action, action films, horror films sometimes, westerns, when you wanna shoot like a landscapes, basically. So Star Wars is super widescreen. Lord of the Rings is widescreen. I always think of Lawrence of Arabia. Those kind of movies, they want to show off the scope of their movies, the big battle scenes, the epic landscapes. And John Carpenter went that direction with The Thing to just kind of show the isolate. One, that's the style he likes. John Carpenter loves John Ford, who did like The Searchers and the great westerns of the day. And... um. John Car that's John Carpenter's hero. So when he gets to redo the thing, the thing has aspects of a Western. Like it's a group of dudes, like boys being boys. Yeah. They're out. It's an expansive landscape where it takes hours to get from one post to another. Similar to a Western where it'll take hours to get from one house to the other. There's just so much emptiness. And Kurt Russell wears a wide brim hat. Yes. Why is his hat so big? It's not that big. In some scenes, it looks big. In other scenes, it does not look big. But as my wife, Lindsay, uh, said when I was watching thing last night, Kurt Russell is kind of a babe in this. He is. He do. That is accurate. He be cinema. <laughs> he be babe in. That is cinema. Is Kurt Russell in the thing? <laughs> this this is cinema. <laughs> this is true. Me, when I see Kurt Russell, this <laughs> is cinema. I guess that's true. But, um, but yeah. 
I want to bring it to the 2011 thing because I had a point with that earlier. I think it's interesting you mentioned how each iteration of the thing was going through a different political landscape. But thing 2011 is a lot harder to define because it so desperately wants to be the 80s one. That's a good point. It feels like it wants to be the 80s one with updated technology. But but it's not taking advantage of the like the cultural and political landscape of the late 2000s, early 2010s, where another remake of that era would be Steven Spielberg's 2005 War of the Worlds, which you said earlier you have not seen. But in case you guys listening also haven't seen it, Spielberg's War of the Worlds is very, very influenced by america post 9 11 there's a lot of that kind of paranoia always like are we going to get hit by another terrorist threat and war of the worlds is yeah that that kind of happens yeah yeah that's and there's a lot of visual nods to that i'm not going to say any of them so you guys can watch it but if you're listening have you seen it yeah if you know you know 2011 the thing doesn't really do anything with the early 2010s no. But also, it is taking place in the 80s. But that doesn't mean it can't be reflective. Because, uh, to hype my boy up again, Spielberg's recent adaptation of West Side Story takes place in the 50s, but it's very relevant to today. Right. And it updates a lot of things that the original 50, no, I'm sorry, 1960 West Side Story. A lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. And I wonder if, if the 2011 movie, like you said, just kind of got caught up in remaking the 1982 film obviously as a prequel but it like like we said before it it just kind of hits the same story beats that the original had what it didn't have was a great dog performance (laughs) what some would say the best dog performance in a horror movie it's funny one of my one of my fellow horror podcasters on twitter my friend uh devon he tweeted like his podcast did a commentary on the on the thing Uh And he also mentioned what is probably the best dog performance. Oh, yeah. I don't know, though. I don't know. I No, no, that's an all-timer. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I... Who am I kidding? That That's probably the best dog performance. <laughs> what were you thinking of another one? I, I am thinking of another one. I'm thinking of Barney the dog from the 1984 classic horror Christmas comedy horror movie, Joe Dante's Gremlins. Austin's about to kick me out of his house because I haven't seen Gremlins yet. Get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, but no, the the dog in the thing, specifically the 82. Yeah. I don't know how, but that dog feels like a fucking alien. Yeah. Have you seen the movie White Fang? No. Okay. It's the same so it's the same animal actor. Okay. As the dog. I haven't seen White Fang either, so I don't know what the, the experience was like or anything. But from what I've read, the dog and the actor that played like the animal handler in the 1982 film spent like all their time on set together, or or at least a lot of their time together, so that the you know the the dog could become used to working with the actor and being more independent of the dog's actual trainer. Because like if if any of you have a dog you know that if you're out with a group of people and the dog's with you or if you have a bunch of people over at your house the dog is always just looking at you even if they're they you know they want attention from somebody else they just they're always going to turn their head and look at you and obviously in a film you don't want that because you want the dog to be looking at the the actor that they're supposed to be looking at which seemed to work out okay in the film i do have a, a point about the 2011 film where you see the you know that 
the thing is going into the dog kennel and you see they, they walk by and they check the dog kennel and you can see a trail of blood like leading out. You know that the thing got the dog and then the dog isn't in the rest of the movie until right at the end in the epilogue and it jumps out of the window, which seemed a little bit forced to me <laughs> because like that, that's the, the tie in to the 1982 film right but that's all that they did to tie it together was like we're gonna have you know we're gonna justify why the dog is here and why the dog is now infected it seems like because that's what's tying the, f the film together um or at least the plots together they'd be a little bit more substance there well i remember they like a lot of the ways that people died in the 2011 one in the 80s one that those are the same bodies they're looking at so they did that yes. part well too and they spent a lot of time in the 2011 film to recreate the just the the set and like what what things looked like when they were walking through the destroyed Norwegian set which is funny because the destroyed Norwegian station in the 1982 film is the same set as the American station uh, for the rest of the film they just right. blow it up at the end and then they film all the scenes at the beginning so that was funny no right exactly <laughs> um what is your favorite adaptation of the thing the original but that's not hard i think that's not a hard answer like the book sorry no my favorite well i would say the the book is the original is the source material okay my, i did say favorite. i said it. yeah caught you in your own wording <gasps> just like the thing hey the thing can read once it assimilates a human. Do we know that? So in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't read. <laughs> in the book, they they say, but I, I guess they're really just guessing that. Okay, so here's here's another thing that, that never came up in the movies. And I think it's fine because it would have made things too complicated. In the book, the thing can read minds mm -hmm. and can kind of project its own thoughts. So there are times where characters will have like they'll have nightmares or they'll hear something or they'll think they hear something, which is really the the creature thinking it or, or feeling it, projecting what it's what it's feeling. But they they speculate that the thing can once it absorbs you, once it assimilates you, it recreates your body and it recreates your mind. And that was so the the book was actually an adaptation of an earlier story that Campbell had written. Uh, I forget what it was called, but it was about aliens on Mars, basically. Mm -hmm. And the kind of, and it was really more of a, it wasn't a comedy, but it was just supposed to be like a lighthearted, like, wouldn't this be funny if this happened? Yeah. But then the question was, if if everyone you know, or if a bunch of people around you aren't really themselves anymore, if it's something else that's that's just replicating them, but it's thinking like them and it looks like them and it's acting like them. Do you know the difference? And would you care? Because at that point, they're pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're thinking the same and they're acting the same, there's no difference between, and that this is not my opinion, I think there's a difference, but again, it's a... But that that's getting like super existential. Yeah, it's getting really existential about it. So I'm going to pull us out of that rabbit hole a little bit. My, yeah, my favorite adaptation of the thing is the 1982 version. But I like all of them for different reasons. I like the okay. 1951 version less than the other two, though. Interesting. Just because it's a little harder to watch. I think I think part okay. of it is that, I don't know, maybe just the, the way that people talk and being used to acting from more recent years, um, it's just easier to to relate to and to kind yeah. of understand the, the emotions of actors in movies from the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. In the 50s, and in the 50s, uh, in the 50s version, I believe the the characters were all like Air Force people. Yeah, they were military. Who yeah. fuck the reporter? 
1951 movie. He is the worst character, and he he made me want to turn the movie off several times because he just <laughs> shits on everyone the whole movie. He's like, "Oh, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I can't believe you guys don't know how to catch this the the monster, whatever." And was like, right. "And I feel like what the, doing here? I feel like 50s movies had a lot of characters like that, like yes. at that time, yeah, like just a negative Nancy, yes." Um, and the, so the the fifties version also had a lot of characters, and right. they weren't all like named characters. There were a lot of of, of extras, um, which is more true to the book. I think in the book there's like thirty seven characters or or something like thirty five or thirty seven characters. In the nineteen eighty two movie, there's eight, a handful, twelve maybe at right. most, which I think was a, a conscious and good decision because you can't follow that many characters in a movie, right? But I think that part of the, the 50s version is there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of characters you don't care about. Well, uh, John Carpenter's 80s version, that's a very intimate movie. So I think yeah. they made the right choice with that. Yes. There's also the obligatory love story in the uh, in the 50s version, which... Oh, I thought I... you were talking about uh, Kurt Russell and Keith David. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was implied. But no, yeah, you got your 50s. Right. Like... Which took me out of it because it... It is for, a very much a fifties movie, right? And I like in in the the eighties and the two thousand eleven versions. There's moments of humor and there's moments of lightheartedness, but there's there's a fairly consistent tone through the whole movie. Yeah. Whereas in the the nineteen fifty one movie, there's like, oh, the, the the thing is coming to get us, and then there's I'm gonna I'm just gonna flirt with with my friend a little bit, and oh, the thing's coming to get us, and oh. My friends are going to joke with my girlfriend about us right. getting married. And it was just very, like, inconsistent, which is okay, because I, I like older movies, um, especially Elvis movies. Mm-hmm. that Like, they don't have to have a consistent tone. It's okay. And, like, movies from the 50s are pretty toothless. Yes. But that's, like, heavy haze code, you know. And then that shit got abolished sometime in the 60s. Can you explain that? A little bit. I'm not a film historian. I'm... He just plays one on TV. I just play one on TV. On podcasts. Well, you know, if if you guys are interested in, the, in this stuff, you should look it up because mm-hmm. it'll be far more beneficial than me just rambling my ass. But the Hage Code basically was in the 30s, film was, well, film was invented in the late 1800s. Film is a very new medium okay. compared to other art forms. Uh, photography, I think, much earlier in the 1800s uh, painting and music has been around thousands five ever yeah five ever uh 14 ever a lot of evers and here's the thing but no so film is a relatively new medium and in the basically at some point in the 30s or 40s the Hayes code was implemented to kind of censor art because I think I think people in power realized how mass appealing film can be, unlike any other any other art at the time. And people in power will always try to impose their own morality. So those in power at the time did, so can't show violence. The good guys always have to win. And there were clever filmmakers, Hitchcock being one, who got around the Hayes Code and stuff like that. I don't know the actual Hayes, like the yeah. actual rules off the top of my head, but it was, it made films toothless, at least in America. It was an American okay. thing. So like in in Italy or France, they did whatever the fucked up, <laughs> depraved shit they wanted. Yeah. 
still do. Uh, <laughs> but in America, it wasn't like that at all. And that they got rid of that sometime in the 60s. And the 70s, the 70s is probably the best era of American film. Because that's when, because in the 60s, they get rid of the Hays Code and... The studios kind of imploded in the 60s, so they're all bankrupt and they're trying anything. So they give all the power to the directors. And in the 70s, that's where you get the emergence of the greats like Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, like that group. Gizmo. Gizmo. Yeah. I'm Joe Dante. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Dante. Um, William Friedkin. Of The Exorcist, like he, you know, yeah. so many great filmmakers that as cinema fans and horror fans, we love today. Wes Craven started in the 70s. John Carpenter started in the 70s. All these guys. All these guys, huh? Yeah. Huh. It, it was still the 70s, my dear. <laughs> but, and that's the only time it's been director driven. Because in the 80s, that's when we, because of Spielberg and Lucas, really, Films like Jaws and Star Wars, the 80s begins the blockbuster era. Yeah. Which we're still kind of in and still seeing the effects of both good and bad. Where you don't see a lot of mid-budget comedies anymore. But that's also has to do with... I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna step that back a little bit. We're no longer in the phase of the blockbuster. We are in the streaming era now. Yeah. And streaming has taken over so much that theaters will only show blockbusters and mm -hmm. horror movies really because those are the safe well the blockbusters aren't safe bets anymore but those are the ones demanding all the screens okay horror movies are still safe bets like you make a horror movie for 10 million bucks you're probably going to make 20 easy is, and that's if it's a bad horror movie. Is it hard for a theater to say no to a blockbuster? Yes. Because the theater knows that they're going to make money by showing a blockbuster or be, well, because they know that they're going to sell tickets or because the production companies, I don't know how this works. Is there money exchanged between pr the production companies and the theaters? Does the production companies say? It's more the distributors. Oh, okay. Yes. And that's more the distributors, but a lot of these like, like Disney distributes their own shit. Okay. Warner Brothers, you know, yeah. the studios, the big studios. Yeah. And I'm not an industry insider. More than me. But you're older than me too, then. So. And I did work at a movie theater for a little bit. But a film, a movie theater can't say no to a movie like Avengers Endgame. Right. Or Spider Man No Way Home. I guess you usually don't go, you don't really have a blockbuster come up to you and you're like, oh, this is not going to go over well with audiences you kind of have to wait for the audiences like i guess morbius is, a, is an example of that because it i didn't see it a lot of people i didn't I, see I it either did not like morbius well a lot of people didn't see it too okay because that movie didn't make a lot of money but there was um, a lot of money that went into making it yes i'll i'll give you i'll give you an example disney generally bullies and they will demand all of the as many screens as possible okay and they'll make the theaters pay however like from what I hear, Disney will be like, give us more than 50% of the ticket sales. And what are you going to do? Not show Avengers Endgame? Not show Star Wars? Okay. Right? Yeah. But this year, Disney did not really work 
their only hit really was Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. And that didn't even cross a billion. Not that a billion is easy peasy, but that should have been a billion dollar movie. Yeah. But audiences are kind of rejecting Disney at the moment. I mean, I didn't see Guardians 3. I really liked the first two. Yeah. But I... And that's because yeah. Ant-Man, Mania, Which I also didn't see. Like, a lot of people are, like, they're kind of done with Marvel. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons why I personally think they're just making too much. So it doesn't I feel... It, it doesn't feel fun and special anymore. It just feels like a chore. Yeah. Right. And there's not, to my uninitiated understanding, there's not a ton of diversity in how they're written and performed and by diversity i right. i don't mean like there's the, not a lot of variety right you're and not they, talking about the cast you're I'm talking, talking about, about the cast and i'm not, I'm not talking plots. about who's writing it or anything like that right. i'm talking about the the, the tropes and yeah and, and the tropes and even just like how just the, how, how the dialogue is like all of the all of the characters speak very similar right which i guess could be the tropes there's a lot of of stereotypical characters and just yeah the way that they talk the way that the, the quips and everything which is like, they're when, safe right they're when, safe. when the phase one or phase two of of, of the marvel movies came when out, it's still novel right when it's still novel and when you're like oh yeah that is like robert downey jr can can make a little make little jokes and it's it's funny because people he didn't know any better at the time um and it was genuinely funny but when you do that in 12 and movies, everyone's doing it, it. like right go back to the thing and have just a little bit of silence sometimes so here's the thing there we go <laughs> but like like a big flop this year was indiana jones and the dial of destiny and it hurt know, it pains me it, it hurts it me pains it me pains too. me but at the same time like that's on disney yeah why why did they put 300 million dollars into an indiana jones movie it doesn't need to be a big but it doesn't need to be that big budget right you don't need to pull out all the stops right and you know people are cold on disney for various reasons yeah whatever people are cold on lucasfilm because the new star wars trilogy people can't agree on star wars ever people people want to say disney ruined star wars but they're the same people that said the prequels ruined star wars and then return of the jedi ruined star wars and empire strikes back if, ruined star if wars if you don't like it you don't have to watch it right that's like i i really liked the the expanded universe before they did yeah. away with that it didn't they didn't do away with it it's still there i can yeah. still go back and read it and it's just like it's it's cool if you don't like the new star wars movies Which you know i, do. I um my, i'm like just it. saying people in yeah. general yeah if if you're listening and you don't like the new star wars movies that's fine but i just think whenever new star wars comes out there's a bunch of backlash towards it and then in 10 to 15 years when there's newer star wars people are like you know the prequels aren't that bad hey the prequels are kind of good and i think another reason why that is is like we grew up with the right, prequels. There's nostalgia. we love the prequels the kids growing up now i think they're gonna like the sequels so i think they will right. get those films will get their uh, renaissance right once it's been twilight's getting a renaissance that, right now yeah once it's been 15 to 20 years you can look back and, and say now this is pod racing exactly exactly and it, it it's really up to the kids to yeah. decide well and that's what the movies the, are made for the kids are the future the kids are the future here's the thing <laughs> there's no kids in the thing you don't know that i hope there's no kids in the thing the thing is a kid <laughs> russell just looks very <laughs> <laughs> He's actually 12. 
All right. Hard tangent. Hard, hard tangent. tangent. Hard tangent. No, we got to get we got to get out of this blockbuster Hayes code. Like <laughs> yeah. film. I, I learned a lot. I hope film you all did notes. Yeah. <laughs> and there are people who've said what I've I, I gave the cliff notes versions. People there's better resources than my dumbass. <laughs> so, but I do I do want to bring it to the thing. Actually, yeah. Actually, the 1982 John Carpenter film. People today consider that one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Hmm? At the time, people hated it. Did so? Did people hate it because it was just? I don't like, know, man. I wasn't alive in the eighties. But you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm sorry. I say your question. He's just saying. <laughs> Did, Back in my day. <laughs> did did people not like the thing, the 1982 thing when it came out because it was like only because it was over the top because it was pretty gruesome. Like the, the, the effects are not pleasant to look at, I would say. Little spider head. It's kind of gross. The guy getting his uh, copper, getting his, his arms bitten off, which is, which cool. is, I would that's say that's, that's kind of a jump scare, but it comes out of nowhere. It is so good. It comes out of nowhere. Yes. Well, there that's, also, John Carpenter is a master of horror. Yeah. He knows how to construct a jump scare. Yeah. That's, okay, that's slight tangent. <laughs> there, you're right. There are a lot of jump scares in the thing. Like, the one I was thinking of was, I what I would say is maybe the best, my favorite scene, at least in the thing, when they're doing the blood test. That's what I was thinking of, too. It, like, that, that scene is so long, and you don't... That that scene is so long, and you don't know when some you know that something's going to happen because how is something not going to happen? But every time they're testing someone's blood, you you are kind of holding on to the the arms of your chair and saying, uh, "What's going to happen?" Because you don't know you don't know how this is gonna how this is gonna react. You you haven't seen the blood react at all. You've only seen the monster itself. Um, and when it finally gets to a character who has been assimilated. And the blood, I don't even know. Because it's it's so shocking when it happens that the blood like jumps out. Yeah. Uh, and then you you hear, I, I think it cuts to the, the character. In, or it cuts to, I think, the person next to the character. And then it cuts to the character. And they're making the thing sounds, the 1982 thing sounds, which are so good. They're the, haunting. They, they are, scare me. Yeah. Those sounds scare me. I, like, honestly. I though, That's one of my favorite horror movie sound effects is the sound of the thing. And especially... Um, when they take, I forget the character's name, the redheaded guy. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you all their names. They, I, I remember there's McCready. Not McCready. Not McCready. There's, it's, well, it's not Childs. It's not Childs. It's not Windows. It's not Gary. It's not the dog. It's not Copper. It's not Blair. It's Bennings. Bennings. Um, I said it wasn't Windows, right? Yes, you said it wasn't Windows. Okay. <laughs> when, when Bennings, when you, when you but, oh, learn that Bennings is, assimilated and he runs outside oh, and then he drops to his knees and then he, he just opens his mouth and it's it's such like i don't know what that sound is it sounds almost like you're just breathing out like you're you're breathing out hard but like your your throat and your mouth is really open it sounds that that scene is something that like i see in my nightmares yeah that is it's not just nightmare fuel I think it is, and John Carpenter is really good at this. It is something that feels like it come it came out of a nightmare. I don't know if it came first or if my nightmare came first, <laughs> right. but yeah, 
and he's he's very good at that because you get imagery like that in a lot of his like the fog has some stuff like that in the mouth of madness prince of darkness prince of darkness for sure i i hesitate to say halloween because i think halloween's scarier in a different way yeah and i think christine is scary in the same way halloween kind of is not in that nightmare sense more in like a grounded yeah I mean, there's nightmarish and supernatural elements to both Halloween and Christine, but that 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 shot you're talking about with, with that sound and that sound is what sells the yeah. nightmare. Yes. For me. Speaking of supernatural elements, I think something that is interesting. I think I think it gets overlooked a little bit, but the the kind of cosmic horror of the thing, which if you want to put a label on it i think the thing could be considered cosmic horror because it's it definitely coming from is. another world you're it, not really focused on that you're focused more on like oh god this thing is here what do we do well that's like cosmic horror too is like it cosmic horror isn't concerned with how this thing is fucking shit up right because like that's a lot of lovecraft yes and lovecraft doesn't fucking explain cthulhu no and that's that's I recently finished a collection of Lovecraft stories, and I that that's kind of something that struck me about the thing is that it's very Lovecraftian in that, especially in the book, it doesn't really explain like what the thing looks like or what it is. Obviously, you see it in the movie, but right? How how do you explain what the thing looks like to somebody else? You're like, it's it, it's a bunch of stuff. It's got some people sometimes depending on the time but it's just kind of a thing that's there but that's a lot of of how lovecraft describes different kind of entities in in the, the universe i guess that that he built was just an undescribable horror like there's this thing that's there but it's it's too scary too too like we, we just can't comprehend it right, right which to me is kind of what the thing represents and that's kind of like a staple of cosmic horror yeah like you see that in a movie like annihilation mm -hmm. where well yeah it obviously shows you because it can't but like you've seen annihilation right is that the one that's underwater no i don't know what i'm thinking i, I don't think you've seen there's annihilation a, a horror movie you would underwater, like underwater like thing. i think you're i think you're talking about underwater with christian stewart <laughs> yeah yeah that's on that's I, a good movie i also haven't seen that movie <laughs> That is a good but movie. The though. algorithm puts it on my Facebook all the time. You should you should check it out, right. and you should check out Annihilation. There, though, I would say those are Lovecraftian, in a sense. Is there a scene in Annihilation where there's people in a space shuttle and there's a thing? Okay, my algorithm sends me lots of movies and it doesn't tell me what they are. Um, Annihilation is a scene with the mutant bear. Oh, I've gotten that one in my algorithm too. I was about to say, I know, I'm I'm sure you've seen <laughs> the mutant bear. By now. That's scary. Oh, oh, Annihilation's a fucking scary movie, I think. I think you'd really like that. But yeah, you should really check out Annihilation. Uh, the bear scene <laughs> is something else. I'm going to re-tangent okay. <laughs> back to Lovecraft. Because the character Blair, who is the biologist... Like, he He's the one that he gets trapped, like quarantined away because he yes. was fucking wolford no i love him yeah yeah he's well for one so good and so like, oh yeah there there's a lot of all right i tangent i'm gonna tangent on all my tangents apparently okay um not windows not windows <laughs> um wolford brimley and keith david 
and who's the guy that plays Gary, the commander? I don't remember his name. I I know we've been through. I know you boys been through a lot. Donald Moffat. Okay. Um, their voices to me at least are so like relaxing to listen to. They have really good line readings. Too. They yes. Like a lot of their quotes, yeah, just stick in my head. Like the one I was just kind of saying. The I know you boys been through a lot, but if you don't mind, I would really like to not spend the rest the rest of this winter in this fucking couch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so everyone listening, John and I, we went to the historic Redford Theater in Detroit. You should go a few months ago. Yeah, it's a great theater. We went a few months ago to see the thing in 35 millile- millimeter. Milliliter? Milliliters. Whoa. Here's the thing. <laughs> we we saw the thing in 35 millimeter. It was this old ass print from the 80s. Reels two and four had like a red. <laughs> yes. And luckily we've both seen the movie before because it was a loud, awesome. It People was great. into it. People were into it. There was this one asshole who like. He's too into it. He was too blasted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, but he was, but the re- everyone else was, it was fun. Yeah. Like, good cheer, you know, welcome. Just one guy got way too into it, and it's just like, buddy, go home. Yeah. But well, people told him that, so that's okay. Not us. No. We, we just sat back and watched the tea. We just groaned. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was, uh, that was a really great experience. And that mm. scene... And that was a really like everyone, every the whole theater laughed at that. And a line reading I like that Keith David does is uh they lock McCready out of the base and they're arguing over like because they think I think Windows thinks he's a thing because he found like the shred of the jacket and and the guy with the curly hair I forget his name I don't remember either. We're not looking up any more names, guys. We're done. We're done. We did We did enough. But anyways, <laughs> the curly hair guy, he was just like, what if we're wrong? And Keith David just goes, well, then we're wrong. <laughs> and it's so good. There are so many. And this is, a, this is a great part of this being an 80s movie. Is there's just so many, like, they, they knew where the beats were. They knew exactly when when they were going to let the actors just dig in on the lines. So good. You've I, got to be fucking kidding. <laughs> I, I, wrote down, I wrote down some lines that okay. were so good. When Blair is freaking out and destroying all the, the radio equipment, he goes, that thing wanted to be us. Yeah. That was I also like, when I'm okay, guys. I'm okay now. And the fucking noose is behind. Yeah. But that, this, he's so... He's so like lovable. The thing he's saying that the thing I think you can watch it as a dark comedy. Yes, I think it's very it has a very twisted humor to it. Yes, Um, there's when the when Copper gets his arms bitten off and the guy's head uh, falls off and then it's a spider and somebody. I forget who it is, but somebody says, you've got to be fucking kidding. Oh, that's the most famous line so in funny. the whole movie. Like, that's a movie that everyone says in their horror movie. Yeah. And then at the end... Uh, Everything from Hatchet to It Chapter 2. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, when McCready is going to blow up the thing... Spoilers for the thing again. 
He just goes, yeah. But if you miss this part of the episode, you're right. good. We're right. fine. We're fine. Yeah. You know, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, when the, when <laughs> when he's about to blow it up and the, the thing roars and then it just cuts back from recruiting. Goes, oh, yeah. Fuck you, too. I like that. I like <laughs> And he has like one of the best character introductions when he's playing chess with the computer. Yes. Fuck you, cheating bitch. I don't think he's he's he says something along those lines or maybe like you cheating bitch and then yeah, he pours his whiskey <laughs> first he wastes the whiskey he destroys his computer but us guys are still like hell yeah, yeah. that's like the stupidest thing to do but it's so it's not like he can go get another bottle of whiskey no. let alone a computer in the 80s in antarctica right right and to me that that character introduction feels very 80s because it's just yeah. like brooding guy doing kind of a mundane thing and then just saying like kind of a quippy like fuck it funny broody thing about right it. yeah just guys being dudes just guys being dudes in anarchy that is my letterbox review of the thing is it just guys being dudes? as it should be to, to i want to tangent back to to lovecraft for a second okay so um another thing that happens in a lot of lovecraft stories is there's an indescribable horror and as the protagonist learns about it and like figures out what it is and how horrific it is, they kind of, they start to go crazy and they, mm -hmm. they kind of, a lot of the time they start to become the thing. A lot of the time they'll, they'll realize what's happening, but it's as they're, you know, they're reading something or they're, they're, they're transitioning into something. They're, they're experiencing something, um, but they, they start to become the, whatever the horror is, yeah. which is very similar to what happens to Blair yeah because he's he's the biologist and he's he runs the simulations which probably i don't know if they have i don't know if the computers in the 80s in antarctica could run those kinds of simulations but we don't need to talk about that um <laughs> that's just math right well he the the math that he's doing is how long is it going to take for this virus quote unquote to infect the rest of the world and he doesn't really know anything about the virus and there's a lot of algorithms that go into calculating the spread of viruses i assume again i'm a geologist i'm not an epidemiologist i assume there's a lot of of math and a lot of assumptions and things that go into to predicting how epidemics are gonna are gonna spread which i don't know if, if a, a desktop computer in the 80s can maybe handle those calculations and especially the, the thing that got me i'll make my point eventually the thing multiplication multiplication um <laughs> The thing that got me was the the visualization of the the cells oh, them, right. like, moving around and then the the one eats it and it's like there's a, a, a leader line to it and it's like dog cell and an alien cell or whatever it says and i was like yeah we need that which to me i think in the 80s people needed that though i think so and that that reminded me of uh jurassic park when they're when the raptors are trying to break into the control room and lex is like oh this is a unix system i know that oh that yeah right dino which, dna the, the the system that she's looking at is a real thing like that mm -hmm. is a, a real 3d interactive platform that was built to interact with certain kinds of systems but only for like super advanced users and obviously the people running jurassic park are pretty advanced but like there's not that many people running it which they make a point of saying during the movie and in the book right so like yeah maybe they wouldn't be there but that's why you that's why i knowing some things about science just kind of cut the cord on a lot of the things that i need to have in my science fiction because that takes all the fun out of it. I I like the choices that they made in these movies. It's an interactive CD-ROM. <laughs> I know. 
I know this. <laughs> but yeah, so Blair, um, <laughs> he he starts he starts to go crazy. Right, right. And then right, they right. lock him away, and then he ends up becoming assimilated, which is an interesting parallel between uh Lovecraft and, and the thing again. Yeah, I think John Carpenter was very inspired by Lovecraft as well. Because the the book, Campbell, he wrote that around the time of Lovecraft was writing his yes. his stuff. So yeah. there could have been like a pure influence on each other. Yeah. And John Carpenter being much later was I'm sure influenced by both. Yes. And so there weren't there were there were a, a number of science fiction magazines um, that would print uh, science fiction stories. Mm -hmm. I think the the one that Who Goes There again, which is what the thing is based on, yeah, um, was published in was called Astounding Science Fiction, which Lovecraft also I believe also published in. Another fun fact is when Campbell, so Campbell submitted Who Goes There to Astounding Science Fiction to be published. Mm -hmm. And while it was being reviewed, the the magazine had some like corporate shakeup, and then Campbell was hired as the editor of the magazine. So his his story was being like reviewed for submission, and then he was just in charge of that process. So wow, <laughs> makes things okay. But yeah, yeah, sure, there might have been some uh, some nepotism of his own story or or whatever. That's but funny. he did, he he did end up bringing in a lot of fresh and and quite good talent into the magazine. Um, which is part of what what kind of drove it into the golden age of of science fiction. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. It is unfortunately getting to be that time. I don't know what you mean. Time flies when you're stuck, isolated together in Antarctica. In Antarctica. That's where we're place. recording, by the way. I wish I could say that, but it's not that cold in Michigan right now. <gasps> you exposed me. <laughs> I. Gotta ask you, which I ask every guest on my humble little show, if you were to encounter the thing, would you die? So here's a question. <laughs> I hate when people give caveat answers to this question on your show. And this is not a caveat. This is just a question. <laughs> if the thing gets you, do you die? If it's just becoming you, does it kill your cells or does it take over your cells? I know it replicates your cells, but what does it do with your actual cells? I think you die. Okay. Because, you die. I, because I think I think you die. I think you, you your cells get replicated, right? Yeah. But it's like an assimilation too. Yeah. So you're so, not you are not there anymore. Right. It's the thing you that is you. Right. So if you want to get kind of philosophical with it, I think if the thing gets you, your soul no like goes on to the next yes like, you are no longer on this tethered earth. with the thing right because the thing has taken it but it's not a possession either yeah because possession you're still in there right you have to kind of witness everything right but with the thing i think you die in that process oh um, yes because i would it replicate it assimilates and replicates it's technically not your body anymore yeah. It's a replication of your body. So I think you die when the thing I, I think I would things you. Except for in Thing from Another World, because it doesn't do that. It just gives you some carrots. You, you could still die. And that killed quite a few people for That's 50s, 50s movies. And dogs. So well, we're in Antarctica too. So we're in Antarctica. Really and, to go. and it could be but it's strong. It is strong. 
And it is basically Frankenstein's monster, which but, will but kill most nice. people. Which will kill... Not, and, not as nice as Book Frankenstein. And Book Frankenstein's not nice at all. <laughs> nicer than film Frankenstein. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> I think well, that that's a whole different conversation. That's... <laughs> that's uh just talk about frankenstein yeah we did yeah yeah uh another spartan trumpet <laughs> there you go uh good old doug lumelin producer of spider coming out early coming out this year a sequel to spider-man no way home i'm ending this <laughs> <laughs> no um but yeah this is uh i like talking about the thing we had a lot of tangents today it was Probably very more than the, the average episode <laughs> Yeah, but they were fun. Um, they were good. They were good fun, I think. Um, they were tangents I wanted to go on. So yeah, so it happened. Where can the people find you? Should you want to be found? I'm on Instagram. You can look me up. I'm there. I don't remember what my handle is, but I'll link it in the I'm show there. notes, okay. guys. Don't don't y'all worry. Um, I also play in the Motor City Brass Band, which is a British style brass band in the Detroit, Michigan area. We usually play in Dearborn a few times a year. Um, as well as some other places so check us out um, you can follow our social media as well that's that's my stuff thanks for for letting me talk about the thing in, in science we didn't talk about a ton of science yeah next time ne next <laughs> next time because yeah next here's the thing <laughs> Th thanks for being on the show man this thanks. was fun Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to John for joining me today and for coming on to talk about the thing. It was so much fun to have such a great friend and supporter on the show to talk about such an iconic piece of sci-fi horror cinema. If you like this show, please let me know. Leave a review and rate on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to the show. Also, feel free to interact with me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you're most comfortable. It may not seem like a lot, but trust me, every single like, share, comment, follow helps this podcast grow, which helps, you know, keep me going. And feel free to let me know how I'm doing. Tell me, what do you like about the show? Areas I can improve? Guests you like me to have on? Monsters you want me to talk about? Let me know what you guys think. Let me know how I'm doing. I really value that sort of opinion. A reminder, I just became an affiliate for Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WOULDYOUDIESHOW. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at WOULDYOUDIEPODCAST. Would You Die is a partner with the Three Wise Men Media, a metro Detroit-based group of awesome guys, Kyle, Tyler, and Dylan, where they bring you professional wrestling, independent comic books, and so much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, we're bringing back a returning guest as we take a break from talking about horror cinema to discuss horror literature. The next episode is going to be lit. Until next time, I'm Austin Taurus. Try not to die.